Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Rupa Subramania show. I'm Rupa Subramania. Now, picture this. The conservatives are charging ahead, leading the pack by a whopping 10 points, just as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is shuffling his cabinet. It's like a political roller coaster that's leaving the liberals playing catch up. But that's not the only twist in this tale. What about Trudeau's approval ratings? Well, let's just say they're also taking a hit. According to the latest national survey from Abacus Data, a mere 19% of Canadians polled are giving him a nod for re-election. It's not exactly a standing ovation for the PM. If an election were held today, the Conservatives would be walking away with a solid 38% of the vote. That's a significant jump of 4% since late June. And the Liberals are trailing at 28%, down by a single percentage point from the last poll. What about the NDP? Well, they seem to be holding their ground at 18%, but that's a 2% dip from late June again. Meanwhile, the Bloc Québécois and the Green Party are steady at 7% and 5% respectively. And then there's the PPC, which is slightly dipping to 4%. But here's the plot twist that's gotten everybody talking. The Conservatives are basically rewriting the playbook, leading not only among men, but also among women and younger voters. This is a seismic shift in political dynamics that the Liberals hadn't really anticipated. Would you believe that a whopping 32% of Canadian women are now waving the Conservative flag? That's more than those supporting the Liberals or the NDP. And of course, let's not forget the men. Their support for the Conservatives remains strong and steady. When it comes to younger voters, the numbers can be quite revealing. According to the latest Nanos research poll, the Conservatives are in the lead, and I mean by a really wide margin. We're talking about a whopping 39.21% of voters aged 18 to 29. The Liberals, remember, used to be the cool kids on the block, but it looks like they're quickly losing popularity points. They've dipped to a meager 15.97% with this crowd. And who's giving them a run for their money? The NDP, of course, coming in second place with the strong 30.92% support. So there you have it. A political drama unfolding before our eyes. The Conservatives are seizing the moment. Trudeau's facing some rough waters. And the numbers are painting a picture of change that's lip rippling through the Canadian political landscape. Here to talk about the latest polls, I'm joined by Brian Bruguet. Uh, he's an economics instructor at Langara College and the creator of the website Too Close to Call, where he provides electoral analysis and projections. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. So let me start by asking you, Brian, um, you know, I've been looking at a bunch of polls recently. Uh, the latest Abacus poll uh, that I've seen indicates a significant lead for the Conservative Party by 10 points over the Liberals. How do you explain this notable shift in public sentiment? Yeah, and so you mentioned Abacus, but, you know, there is the Main Street one that had essentially the same number. We've mm -hmm. had Nanos in the last few weeks where we had the Liberals trailing as well, right? I mean, so overall, you know, I prefer to use an average of polls than just one because of margin of errors and, you know, sampling variations. But so we are in a situation over the last four or five weeks where the 
conservative are clearly ahead of the liberals. So I mm. think, you know, it's always difficult to to pin down one reason. And, I, I, you know, that's one of my pet peeves where you see a lot of 20 minute, twenty seconds answer on CBC or CTV where they're like, this is it, this is what happened. And sometimes pollster themselves, they, they will do so without having a question. With that being said, I, th I think we can still infer from uh, from this polling, it's it's the cost of living, really, that, that is like crushing Canadians, or housing, inflation. Uh, there is also the general concept of you know we know that canadians after eight nine ten years they tend to vote out their government so it's really difficult to last longer than this and i think is trudeau is, is approaching his expiry date or his past his expiry date so i mean you know when you look at francis abacus has this long series of whether you have a favorable and unfavorable opinion of, of the prime minister justin trudeau and the trend you know it's really really clear it keeps like the gap for he is becoming more and more negative for for justin trudeau and I th it goes even beyond the last few weeks right it, it's mm -hmm. a multi-year process where that might have been stopped by COVID for a little bit but overall canadians are just tired of this prime minister and this government uh, yeah, that's of course uh, bread and butter issues are what's uh, dominating. That's my sense as well. It is not the uh, rise of the scary far right or the latest COVID variant that we're constantly being told to be afraid of. Um, it's also interesting, according to the same poll, that the Conservative Party is now leading among women and uh, and all age groups, really, uh, including those that who you know who found themselves traditionally aligned with the liberals and the NDP, such as uh, younger voters, for example. Um, you know, what what do you think is going on, you know, generally? I mean, what what messages do you think has resonated with with these demographics, especially with uh, younger people? Yes. OK, so so before I answer, just a small caveat. Um... The Abacus poll was pretty clear, you know, with a lead with women and a lead with young people and include and boomers or 65 and over. We're not in the situation yet where all the polls agree on this, right? For instance, the recent Main Street still had, I think, the liberals slightly ahead with women or tied, and they were still leading with the 65 and over. So we have some, you know, different polls, different methodologies. So we're not in a, I wouldn't go out and scream victory for probably ever mm. with those two groups yet. Uh, with that being said, if we go back to overall, we see a trend, especially with young people, right? And this is a trend that we've seen, um, I don't want to say partially in 2021, but as soon during the leadership uh, race of the conservative, it, there was a really big age gradient where uh, Share had the older voters and Poilier was much more popular with the younger voters. Uh, there as well, I mean, you know, we kind of need to, Polls are really bad at trying to tell us why their numbers are the way they are. But I think we can guess relatively fairly that housing, Poilier has been talking about housing and he almost has a de facto monopoly on this. If you think about this in mm. Kenyan politics, I mean, who else is talking about housing? Jack Singh will mention it once in a while with stupid ideas such as we should, you know, subsidize <laughs> mortgage holders. Justin Trudeau two weeks ago said, I will be blunt, that's not my problem, you know, I mean, in front of everybody. So, yeah, we're in a world where Poiliev has enjoyed a quasi-monopoly on this issue, and it doesn't matter, you know, I'm pretty sure most people don't even know his actual policies, but they're like, this guy at least gets it. 
he understands yeah. that this is an this is truly a crisis right for and there is mm-hmm. an entire generation that is priced out and not only priced out i don't even think they have a dream of having a house anymore they don't even think it will ever be possible so so that's yeah. most likely the reason yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been uh, even before Pierre Polyever became a leader of the Conservative Party, uh, when in fact, it was um, um, when the leader was Aaron O'Toole, I remember him um, talking about inflation, uh, talking about affordability, and, uh, and he was mocked, he was derided, and he was uh, told that he was, uh, yeah. you know, just uh, that this was misinformation. Yes. Very few people actually believed him. But, um, you know, those of us who have been following him and have been following these issues knew that this was going to hit at some point. Uh, and and it, and lo and behold, that's exactly what ended up happening. Um, just uh, to shift gears a little bit, Brian, some, some people, including uh, yours truly, you know, have been critical of the Tories for not, uh, for basically remaining silent on um, on the culture war uh, uh, issues, the social issues that animate many many conservatives, uh, for example, the gender ideology stuff. That's um, that's it's, it's a very important aspect of the c- uh, culture war right now. Um, and Polyevra is really only strictly focused on the economics uh, of of uh, of uh, on the economy and the affordability crisis, and pointing to the ineptitude of the Trudeau government. Do you think this strategy is working for him? Like, um, you know, do you think at some point he, he's going to also wade into the culture stuff uh, uh, because? There's a sense that there's a sizable um, support for such, um, you know, that 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 the Conservative Party needs to step up to the plate and take a position on these issues. Yeah, so we have seen even recently, right, where he did touch, for instance, on the changing gender and pronouns in school. He didn't go too far, right, but basically saying, you know, I believe mm-hmm. parents should be involved or should be the one deciding. So he's kind of like trying to. I would say, you know, I will use the term that the left loves, like dog whistle, but he's dog whistling, you know, to to, 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 to at least try to send us a message that he's with them, right? But he doesn't mm. want to be known or to campaign just on this. And I mean, it, make, it makes sense to some extent, right? I mean, the swing voters that parties are after, they usually don't care about, or they don't care only about this uh, culture stuff. They and especially nowadays with interest rate at seven percent, you know, this is the main crisis, right? And so I would point out to Daniel Smith in Alberta, which you know was known for this culture stuff uh, uh, all the time, and then she just spent four weeks campaigning in Calgary on bread and butter issues, and it worked. I mean, it, it almost didn't work, but it did work. And if you look at where she was a year ago. What that that's a pretty good success. So I think this is essentially the the strategy they they're trying to do. So I do think that at some point they need to remember who the base is. And as much as you want to swing voters, you also don't want to upset your base, right? You don't want to do every no tool where you're literally telling some Albertans or people in Saskatchewan, oh, I li- literally don't want your vote. You know, we want to mm-hmm. to go down there. So it's gonna be interesting. My my theory about Poilier has been that the one issue will keep to satisfy the base on this would be uh, defunding the CBC, which I think it's one of those issues where the people more motivated by culture war uh, stuff will be very happy. And it polling shows that it might not upset other people that much. They might not care, you know, that much, especially when they're paying 7% interest. So that might be a good compromise without spending all your time 
talking about you know it's 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 tricky right i get it therefore yeah. especially a, a tory leader to go you don't want to start campaigning on lgbtq rights and whatnot that opens the door to a, a lot of a kind of worms really mm-hmm. uh, let's turn to um, the prime minister's approval ratings um approval rating and it's uh faced um uh, quite a considerable decline uh i i believe and i think according again according to the abacus data i uh, 19 of canadians poll believe that he should be re-elected what exactly happened here? Um, you know, uh, I, I've written about uh, Justin Trudeau's popularity um, uh, about a year and a half ago in the National Post. I looked at how um, he was he, he was his popularity was actually uh, declining before the pandemic. And then yeah. it really just shot up uh, in the middle of the pandemic, because I, I believe like he was seen as this leader who's going to take us out of the pandemic and that sort of thing. Um, what, what, what do you think has happened since then? So I, I do believe in, in you, you, you rightly pointed out that his popularity was decreasing before COVID. And I truly believe mm-hmm. if you look at from 2015, if you look at the graph, it's really, mm-hmm. it's going down. And, and then COVID happened and it gave him a second life. But I think we're just essentially back to the you know trend we would have been on if COVID never happened. I mean, that was always mm-hmm. my, you know, my personal theory as early as 2019 that he's going to go down the way of Kathleen Wynne, maybe not as bad, but, you know, definitely going below 30%. And so COVID happened, there is the rally around the flag, you know, we we rally around the, the prime minister when there is a war or this type of thing. So it gave him a second life. It cemented his support and approval with very specific demographics, boomers or older people, uh, very urban liberals, uh, highly educated people who, you know, I'm talking about people who still nowadays think that we should still be wearing a mask. So I think, you know, it has that has increased its popularity among uh, among them, but it, it's just going away, right? I mean, and, and you know, we see, I really believe that to understand what is happening to Trudeau, we need to go back to 2015 to 2019. 2015, yeah. he wins with almost 40% of the vote, Sunny Wales, right, as he said it, he was hugely popular, young, good looking. He was respectful, right? He was, remember when Trudeau was the one saying, you know, don't insult conservative, they're your neighbors. We need, you know, they, they are our fellow citizens. And then it, it quickly changed. And mm-hmm. I think by 2019, we can already tell we went from what, 30 to 30, uh, 39 to 32. And then all of a sudden, his coalition changed and his electoral strategy changed to. I'm not trying to win a majority by seducing everybody from Alberta to, you know, Vancouver. I'm just going to focus on the 30, 32 percent of people who are in the right writings. And it allows me to remain a uh, prime minister. And, and then I think from there, it's just a war of attrition. Right. I mean, after this, you know, when you win one, two elections like he did based almost entirely on incredible vote efficiency, well, it's a double-edged sword, right? And so now if you lose even one crisis at a time, if you lose one person, another one, another one, then you end up where you are now, where you are 27, 28, 29 person. And in terms of your personal popularity, it's even worse than this, right? We now have, mm. what we have a good about 10% of the population that doesn't like Justin Trudeau, but they would vote for him either because they're diehard liberals and it's partisanship or they don't like the alternative. And I think over the last few months, it has accelerated that he's losing these people because they just had enough. And and so this and so now he's really back down to 
what I always call the true Anon core, right? Where those mm. diehard, rabid partisans uh, that will always love him. And you said 19%. Yeah, that's essentially my estimate of true Anon or true deep uh, Trudeau fans has always been between 12 and 15. So 19, we're not that far from it. Yeah. And and the Conservative Party um, has uh, their support has increased uh, by 4%, according to the same abacus uh, uh, data. Um, what has led to their uh, the increase in support, you think? I mean, I know you've mentioned bread and butter issues, but has there been any specific um, uh, campaign or messaging that might have led to this uh, boost in support in, in practically in a very, very short period of time? Yeah, so this is why, you know, this is where I would, you know, use some caution because the 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 late boost we're seeing over the last six weeks, it's a little mm. bit difficult to explain why this would happen now and not three months ago or a year ago, right? So, I mean, but, you know, I think sometimes people or pundits, they expect cause and effects to happen really, really quickly, right? He said this, that happens the next day. But we need to realize that, you know, you and I, you know, we, we're not normies, right? We spend our days on Twitter, we follow the news, so we might react quickly. But the average suburban family who only realizes uh, is renewing their mortgage now, and they're realizing that they're paying three times more than they were before, well, maybe now they're paying attention. So there might be a delay mm -hmm. effect on, on those things. So I wouldn't, I really would not put that, yeah. you know, where the, the idea that, it's just the cost of living finally adding up. I mean, you can last a few months and then all of a sudden you're like, I really cannot. I'm underwater. I cannot pay my mortgage. I cannot buy a new car. And it just adds up this way. Beyond this, I mean, we have to look where Poiliev and the conservative are getting uh, increased support, right? They're essentially getting half of the PPC. And we know, I've talked many times about this, that I thought that was a valid strategy from Poiliev, the first step should be to reunite the right and go get at least half of the PPC so that they're, they're not costing you 10, 15, 20 writings. And mm. then after this, you need to go find another demographic. So I think he has been quite successful in Atlantic Canada. And you're asking for specific policies. I think Atlantic Canada, we've seen the introduction and the rise of the carbon tax, which is uh, not going well. And yeah. so obviously this is linked to the uh, cost of living in general, but this is very mm. specific. And so I think we're seeing this realignment as well in Atlantic Canada, where, you know, realistically, that shouldn't be people voting liberals. They should be voting conservative. Or the, you know, if you tell somebody that doesn't know anybody, anything about Canada, and you show them a map with density, and you tell them, well, do you think Prince Edward Island, who they vote for? they would tell you conservative. So it's almost an anomaly that they were not mm -hmm. voting. So I think we're seeing this realignment happening really fast in Atlantic Canada, Northern BC, Northern Ontario. And so those are partially NDP voters who are switching to Poiliev because of common sense issues. And, you know, it's just blue collar voters who, why would they be voting for Jack Mitzing? Jack Mitzing is not interested in their vote. He's interested mm -hmm. in winning Davenport in Toronto. And so all his campaign, everything he does is aimed at urban progressive. So that that opens a massive door for the Tories, a door that, let's be honest with Ari Notul, he tried to to use it and to, to open it. It mm -hmm. just wasn't, he was partially successful, but not enough. Yeah. Well, and what do you what do you make of uh, the um, the fact that women uh, voters are now uh, turning to the conservatives? I mean, I remember like uh, 
when uh, Pierre Polyevre was uh, elected leader of the Conservative Party, there were these a slew of um, opinion pieces in the Toronto Star and a whole bunch of other places uh, that uh, how women, you know, you know, he was not resonating with women. Uh, and and so that's that was going to be a huge stumbling block for him. And so I, I wonder, like, how what has bred, brought about this change among women voters? Yeah. So, again, right with the caveat that we it's not definitive that he's doing better and he's winning with women. But yeah, I think there is a small trend that we can all agree that he's doing better. Might just be, you know, at some point when things are going really bad for the incumbent, I mean, you just win almost by default. And I think mm-hmm. I almost want to switch the question around, right? Why is it the case that there is such a large gender gap, right? I mean, on many issues and in politics and in Canada in particular, and so maybe we're seeing, you know, when people are all in the same mess of you don't find housing, you cannot pay your mortgage and whatnot, all of a sudden, you know, then that's what you think about. And your gender doesn't really matter at this point anymore. So more generally, if, if I want to try to go more specific, I think we've seen over the last few weeks a change a rebranding of Pierre Poiliev, right? I mean, and I'm not only yes. referring to dropping the glasses, but he's he speaks yeah. differently. I mean, it's very obvious. If you have followed him before, the way he answers questions or he speaks in a, during a press conference is more neutral, is slower, less aggressive, less the pit bull, right, that he was known to be. And we know for a fact, and I don't, you know, I'm not being sexist here. We know for a fact from data, from survey, that women tend to not like politicians who are mean. I mean, they're they're more sensitive to this than men, for instance. So I think this rebranding into a more consensual, nicer guy uh, can go a long way. And I'm not saying, you know, that Mm. they should win this demographic and they might win women last time, but they don't need to, right? They just need to not do as bad as they used to be do right i mean it's a little bit the same as trump and the latino vote or hispanic vote he doesn't need to win it but if he can just you know not lose it by 50 points and all of a sudden he wins florida and miami you know by much more so i think that's the same idea out there and so abacus again had very good insight on the video that the conservative have posted about you know i'm referring to the one where it's uh, his wife narrating and saying why she likes you know she loves Pierre Poiliev and why he would be a good mm. so I do think that those type of ads can be quite successful it's not so, you know again pundits and people who spend all their time on Twitter they're obsessed with issues they're like oh but you know he has this policy on this and so that's gonna win or lose voters and I'm like political science has shown that for most voters it's much more about vibes and general feelings and so mm. So this is this is where I think if I had to guess the rebranding most likely is, is paying off. Yeah, I I was gonna uh, talk about that with you as uh, as well. I mean, I cannot, uh, you know, I mean, uh, this change we're looking at is from June to now, yeah, yeah. and um, and that's roughly when you know he underwent this uh, makeover. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, he looks, uh, you know, more normal now uh yeah. more relatable and of course his wife i think is a huge asset um yes. uh, to to uh, him and to the campaign i heard her speak uh, uh you know when he won the leadership uh race last year here in ottawa i heard her speak yeah. and she's she's a pretty powerful speaker herself i mean oh, yeah. you know uh, and i think that's uh, really helped i mean you see this young couple they're roughly like 
you know, around my age and they're, um, you know, and they're relatable. They have two young kids and yeah, you know, and I think, I think that's made a huge difference. We got another day of NBA action and with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And I don't like going there, but, in, you know, this is at sort of the same time we discovered that, well, we learned that Justin Trudeau was getting a divorce. And yeah. we don't like talking about this, why we all agree we're not going to dunk on this and why not. But, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I followed the news on Google Trends and that was a massive event. Again, that's that's one of the rare times where normies, like non-political online people, were Googling his name. And... I don't know, you know, there is very little research. I didn't find any about the consequences of getting mm. a divorce uh, when you're in power. But I cannot completely rule out that it does play a little bit of a role in, in some ways. I mean, it's all of a sudden you realize. And, and then, you know, I mentioned it before, but the the week where we discovered this and he was like, everybody was Googling his name and he was in the news. The number, the second query, the words associated with looking for Trudeau was Trudeau cheating. And so, you know, I mean, uh-huh. people, you know, so th- I cannot believe that's such a massive event. That is, to put things in perspective, this is bigger than blackface on Google Trends. I cannot mm. imagine that something that massive would not have consequences one way or another. I don't know. It could be sympathy and we vote for him or we don't like him anymore, but it, it should have some sort of consequences. And, you know, maybe this is what we're seeing partially, partially right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like the ancien regime, right? It's yeah. um, they're just looking very tired. You're right. Uh, it's a good point about uh, the news of his divorce, um, and 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 the events following his divorce. You know, like there was uh, this photo of his wife um, enjoying. Um, sure, they're separated now, but she's at a spa or something yeah. in British Columbia. It just seems so out of touch with everything that is happening uh, in the country. Um, and, um, you know, I'm just I'm just not seeing the kind of energy that he once used to have. Yeah. Um, you know, you can certainly see that, uh, what, eight years has finally caught up with with him and uh, his party. And um, yeah, and they're doubling down on all of these issues that very few people actually care about, uh, like the gender ideology stuff, you know, and. Um, oh, yeah. They're very bankrupt intellectually right now. They, they yeah. don't really know what to do. Um, it's not recent, but it's really getting worse. It seems like, do you even want to be prime minister at this point? I don't think he wants to be prime minister. I believe yeah. he only stayed because Poiliev won the leadership and he really, really, Trudeau hates Poiliev. But I, yeah. I, I remember Joshua saying that he thought that if he won the leadership, Trudeau would just resign. And I I don't know if it's completely true, but I can see some truth to it. I could, I could see Justin Trudeau saying, you know, I've been in politics since 
2008, in power since 2015. I'm tired, disgusting me, my family. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave. It's fine because even if I, if we lose, it's not the end of the world. But now it's like if we lose, Pierre Poilievre is prime minister, and he knows that, or he thinks at least that he's still the best hope of the liberals. So I, I'm thinking there might be a little bit of of this. Yeah, uh, let's let's uh, talk about this current. Um coalition, the Liberals and the NDP, uh, some analysts have pointed to this doomsday scenario for the Conservatives where the Liberals and the NDP are in a perpetual de facto de jure um, uh, coalition uh, post-election. Um, this would mean that the Tories probably need to get around 40% or so of the popular vote to win a majority um, and and and, uh, and uh, forestall such a, um, a coalition of uh, conven- con- convenience. Do you, do you think this scenario is plausible? What do you think of it? So, and I've always been less pessimistic about the chances of a minority for the Conservative to be uh, workable with the Bloc Québécois. I think to me the 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 main outcome really that matters is is the are the conservatives ahead of the sum of the NDP and liberals and for this to happen it doesn't need to be you don't need 40 percent there you you pray 36 37 with a good lead that's enough I'm thinking of like probably of getting 150 seats the Liberals at 120 and the NDP at 24. So at this point, the only way that, you know, Trudeau remains is if the Bloc Québécois is behind him. And my reading of multiple years now, but even more recently, is that I don't think the Bloc Québécois would come and save Justin Trudeau. I don't think they would want to mm. love Pierre Poilievre, but they're not going to go and do a coalition or save. So I don't think we need to worry about such a coalition happening all the time, because the yeah. math shows that it won't happen all the time. It's difficult for the conservative to win a outright majority. This I agree. Yeah. I mean, just because we're now seeing polls that put them in clear majority territory doesn't change the fact that the, the electoral math is, is very difficult, especially because of the Quebec, right? It's difficult to win a majority when you barely exist in the second province. Um, yeah. But as long as the conservative win 150, 155, as long as they finish first in seats, I honestly don't think that Trudeau would even try to remain at this point. I think he would get the memo and just move on. Mm. And and let's flip things around. I actually think this coalition would, or they don't call it a coalition, but I agree we should use the term coalition. Uh, When it happened, I was very excited for the Conservatives because that means that the next election, when there is finally a desire for change, the NDP cannot get this vote. (laughs) <laughs> it literally cannot, because how could you get this vote when you've been supporting this government for years? Yeah, so so yeah. I think that was, a, uh, if they, if Poiliev wins a majority next time, I think we should thank this coalition. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's basically killing two birds with one stone. So, yes. uh, yeah, no, I, I, I remember being horrified at that when that happened. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I see, see now. Uh, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. They say, but I see that now. Um, I want to you. You mentioned something about electoral math. I want to ask you about. Uh, you know, in our in the in our first past the post system like like ours you have two competitive parties um and the vote to seat multiplier can be very unstable making it uh difficult to translate um vote shares into seat uh, predictions uh, uh this is 
yeah, this is more relevant now um, that we're not just in a de facto two-party system, but the NDP can certainly play spoiler in some seats. Uh, how does one deal with uh, with with this? You know, while you're uh, while you're polling, while you're mo- in the modeling of polls, uh, especially when you're trying to convert um, vote predictions to seat predictions. Yeah, no, ex- uh, and I love this question because you know that's what I've been doing for years, right? And and yeah. Most of the time, I mean, uh, myself and other people who do this type of projections, we're relatively successful. We do have elections where it doesn't work, right? 2015, 2019 were not particularly good. Sometimes it's because the polls are wrong. Sometimes it's because there was a deep underlying change, right? I would say 2019 is a good example of even if you had Mm -hmm. the right numbers with the polls, they're there were so many changes within a province, right, uh, around the GT and the Vancouver area that it, it was difficult to, to predict. But at the end of the day, I mean, usually these type of projection models, they do pretty well, as long as polls are not completely off. And as long as you really keep track, I always tell people, they always think that, you know, my spreadsheet or my models, it's it's a question of like having really complicated formula and, and, and variables. But honestly, I would say, the majority of the the work is to just keep track of all the data. I just want to make sure I see all the polls. And so you see a poll just for the GTA, you use it. You see polls in specific writings, you use it. And so as long as you keep track of, it's a mountain of information, but as long as you're on top of this, you usually do pretty well. And you will be able to see when a party is in the, you know, the touchdown zone or, you know, the paying zone where the multiplier really happens so mm. so and i'm saying this you know we once in a while we have an election that, as i'm saying where there is a true realignment and then and 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 then we're wrong we could see it next time right where we could see maybe projection models like myself would underestimate the the tories in atlantic canada or in northern ontario uh, because it's such a massive shift that we don't see without more granular polling um the one thing I would say, if, if you ask me, the one variable we really don't get, and I really wish we were getting much better information about this, is the vote of immigrants and minorities. Very yeah. few polls ever give us this information. Main Street might be the closest, but even there, they're going to group, you know, Southeast Asian all together. And I'm like, it's not necessarily super useful, and their sampling size will be, sample size will be, you know, 65. So can you really take this, you know, at face value? But we have now, we have many writings in around Vancouver and Toronto where mm-hmm. the demographic composition of the of those writings have changed massively over the last 10 years. And depending on if this group of, you know, I'm thinking of uh, uh, East Asians in particular, or South Asian, uh, if they change, we might completely miss it. We might completely be oblivious to it. The same way that last time, we didn't see the, the switch of the Chinese vote. Nobody mm. did. I mean, if somebody says they did, they're lying or they were, you know, it's just a question of you keep saying something and at some point you will be right. But nobody saw Richmond Center flipping. Nobody saw the Chinese vote flipping by 20 points to the liberals. And why is that? Well, because I don't follow Chinese media, even though my wife is Chinese. Uh, I don't, we don't have polling data about this. And mm. so that I would say that's a big unknown right now. And we and to relate this to Pierre Poiliev, he's been doing an incredible job reaching out to minorities. I mean, every mm. other day is it an, an event? It's on the you know those 
private medias out there. And it's it's difficult, you know, if it pays off, then my models will clearly underestimate how many GTA seats they will win. Because I will mm. I will assume when I see the conservative it's mostly white people, you know, uh, in Southwest Ontario that are switching, but it might not be. It might be Indians, yeah. immigrants in in the GTA. Well, that's a very interesting point because it reminds me of uh, something that is happening in the U.S. Uh, Asian Americans, um, especially um, Chinese Americans, uh, Vietnamese Americans, um, there's been a trend now over the last couple of years or so where they're uh, increasingly uh, voting Republican or uh, aligning with the Republican Party. Um, some of the issues that animate them, uh, which um, and they were traditional Democrat uh, voters, uh, Dem Democrats, uh, what, some of the issues are the cultural issues yeah. and things like affirmative action, uh, yes. where, you know, Asian American students um, uh, were, were being penalized yeah. for working hard and uh, doing well in school. But, uh, you know, they couldn't get into the uh, the Harvard's and yeah. um, uh, and, and, and Princeton. Uh, you know, Princeton University and so on. So that has really affected, these issues have really affected that community that they're actually like shifting to, uh, uh, moving towards the Republicans. Now, a lot of what happens in the U.S. affects us. Now, I wonder, like, I mean, if, you know, if, if there's a, of course, I mean, polling would help us understand if this is in fact even happening here. To what extent are these cultural wars having an impact on immigrant communities. We, we've seen uh, with the gender ideology stuff, we've seen like, for example, conservative Muslim groups yeah. coming out against it. Surely these things are playing a role in people's uh, uh, intentions of um, how they're gonna vote. I would imagine so, right? I mean, it's yeah. difficult. And I don't know if you if you saw my work recently, but I, I used the data of the 2021 uh, electoral study. You know, there is always mm. one in Canada and the data is public. And I tried to put people in, you know, the so-called quadrants, right? Social conservative, social progressive, mm. economic conservative. And yeah. I started really looking into this because the more I was, uh, when I started looking at this data, I was really shocked at how well the liberals were doing with the economic left but socially mm. conservative folks and our crowd and and you know it's a group that you wouldn't think would vote for justin trudeau and i'm not saying that trudeau is winning this this demographic but he's doing remarkably well and the conservatives are not winning this demographic as much as we thought and so i want mm. to look more into this and i do think you know the general theory is this demographic are immigrants from some Asian countries who are more socially conservative. And until now, they didn't have a reason, you know, economically, they might be more left-wing. They don't mind interventions of the government. But until mm -hmm. now, and very recently, when the right in Canada finally decided to fight this culture war, well, they had no reason to vote for the right, right? I mean, because Trudeau, they pray don't like when he's talking about, you know, LGBTQ all the time. But it's still, you know, the other guys are doing the same anyway. So that might be changing. And, and, and we're back to one of those really systemic, you know, systemic change of our voters mm. and our coalition. So I'm not saying it would work. I'm not saying it would make a big difference. But if it does, or if we see a big change in how the GTA votes, I do think we should look in, in, into this. And so uh, we're seeing a lot of unrest, right? We see parents in the suburbs where they're Muslim or Indians or, you know, Asian parents, and they they hate this gender ideology push onto their yeah. kids. And, and so yeah. 
So if we finally have somebody who's listening to them and trying to to get their vote, mm. uh, that that could be a big difference. I mean, we know we have people, right? I mean, uh, uh, like Rahim Mohammed on, on Twitter who has said that his parents are super socially conservative. They vote for mm. Justin Trudeau mostly because of the name. So the name will not change, right? And the 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 decade of oh Trudeau and the liberals are nice to us and they're pro-immigration that will not change. But if you can start getting into those those communities by uh, other issues, it's not just going to be bread and butter for them. I fully agree. So that that could mm. be life changing for the conservative. And th- we've been expecting this for for a decade now, right? That's not a new idea, right? I mean, Daryl Bricker. Uh, and John Hibbitson of the the blue shift, right? I mean, that was what twenty twelve. This idea mm. that new immigrants in Canada are more naturally conservative because now they don't come from Western Europe; they come from Asia. So long term, the dominance of the liberals of this demographic might change. It hasn't, and I think it hasn't mostly because of Trudeau and the reluctance of the right to touch on socially conservative issues to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded of um, all of these polls uh, that we've been talking about. I'm reminded of what happened to Jacinda Ardern in uh, New Zealand um, earlier this year, right? She um, uh, announced that she wasn't, uh, she was quitting politics altogether. And um, and and uh, when that happened, you know, the, the, all of the events that led to her eventually resigning um, were w- w- was the fact that she was tanking in all of these polls. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm so, kind of seeing the same thing happening here. And I want, you know, do you think that it will be enough for uh, Justin Trudeau or the Liberal Party to make that decision that uh, that it, it's time for him to go? I, I don't see Justin Trudeau living yeah yeah partially because of what i said before i think he hates pierre poilier with a passion and he really really wants to fight him during an election so and he Mm. wants to fight him himself not send christian freeland or somebody else the other thing is as much as the liberals are not as professional and as ruthless as they were i mean i think most of the talent has left honestly whether it's policy or electoral uh, math, most of the really smart people in the room have left to do better things, they're still pretty good, right? They still have good Mm. data and good insight. And they must be aware that Trudeau is the only thing saving the liberals at this point. You remove Trudeau, I think the liberals, they tank in Quebec right away, and they Mm. probably tank with uh, cultural minorities because of the name and the, the, you know, the the history. So that's also, you know, the few groups that are still with them. So do you take this risk and who are you getting back the center-right uh, share voters who don't like Poiliev? Maybe. I don't think there's enough for of them to compensate. And most of them will still, or at least half of them, would still vote for the conservative anyway. So that's most likely the reason. He knows he, mm. his chances are not good, but nobody else. I really don't think anybody else of the liberals would do better. They would do worse nowadays. Yeah. Final question for you, Brian. I mean, this has been a, a very insightful conversation, and I'm so glad that uh, we made it happen. Uh, final question for you. Um, what do you think is going to happen? I know the elections are, what, two years away, but if you had a crystal ball and you were gazing into it, uh, where you know, what do you think would happen? <laughs> do, you, do you think Pierre Polyev is going to be the next prime minister of Canada? Yeah, so I've been pretty clear for a while that my personal belief is that the next election, Poiliev will win. Whether he wins a majority or minority, that's what I'm not sure. But I really cannot see Poiliev and the Conservative dropping below 140. 
in terms of mm. seats, 140, even 150. So that un- pretty much guarantees them a minority. Or minus, you know, with the caveat that maybe liberals plus NDP would be slightly higher and we might have like some a coalition. So that's my guess. I mean, looking at how the situation is on the underlying, uh, you know, variables of our economy and our uh, situation right now, like housing, cost of living, those things will not go away. They will get mm. worse because housing will not get better anytime soon, for sure, and not by 2025. Cost of living, I believe inflation might be controlled, but, you know, it will increase unemployment. So now you have people who still have, you know, grocery will not go down, but now you're unemployed. So I really don't think uh, things could improve for the liberals. I think we will see... I'm not saying that all polls will show the conservative with like 12 points lead for the next like two years. I think, you know, we're going to see fluctuations, but overall it's looking more and more like the next election will be a clear change one. And I think as long as the conservative, they just do their thing, they reach out to minorities, they, they, they don't make giant mistakes here and there, they, they should be cruising to, to a victory uh, or at the very least a large minority. I would be quite surprised. I would be really, really shocked if, Trudeau wins the next election. I mean, that it, <laughs> it would require, I would be very disappointed as well, right, clearly, but it would require some sort of event, right? I mean, I was talking to somebody, and uh, sorry to explain maybe too long here, but it's not the first time that Trudeau has been trailing. He, he started 2015 in third, he was behind in 2019 for a while before the election, and in 2021, he was behind at the end of August. But every time that has happened, it felt wrong, if you know what I mean. The conservatives were not supposed to be ahead. Harper winning in 2015, were like, really? I mean, his popularity is pretty bad. He has been there for nine years. 2019 as well, you're like, why would people switch so fast, you know, when they loved this guy four years ago? 2021, you had COVID and all these things where you're like, oh, most likely, you know, if we go back to fundamentals, it's good for the liberals. I think this has completely changed. Right now, if the fundamentals are bad for the liberals and they're not going to get better. So that's why I'm pretty bullish on on betting on Pierre Poilly over there. Well, yeah, no, I think I think uh, you're you're possibly you're probably right, and I'm you know I'm, I I tend to agree with your analysis, and uh, uh, and for sure the next two years are going to be a very interesting to watch, and uh, I'm really uh, grateful. Uh, that you came on the show to share your insights and um, yeah. Uh, did, did you want to say something? I, I would just like to add maybe one thing. If there was yeah. one province where I'm not sure what will happen mm. is Quebec. And if there was one place where I could see the liberals making gain would be Quebec because Quebec, they do genuinely love or still mm. like Justin Trudeau. It's much more popular than anywhere mm. else. And they do really not like Pierre Poilier so far. I mean, for multiple yeah. reasons. So if there was one place where maybe we would see some strategic voting and people being like, oh, no, we, we don't want this guy as prime minister and we prefer Trudeau, that would be mm. then. So th- as long as the block holds, that's fine. But if the block were to collapse, and then that could give so many seats to the liberals, that if that would be the only way I see Trudeau remaining in power. I don't think it's likely, mm. but if I'm wrong in my call, uh, I'm going to blame Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should blame Quebec regardless <laughs> for everything. Um, on that note, Brian, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I hope uh, you'll be back again uh, to talk about more uh, uh, election stuff or uh, electoral analysis. I uh, You have a great way of explaining things. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, 
always love those those chances, you know, to explain and to talk to a wider audience, right? You have a really wide audience that I don't necessarily reach, right? And then different people who might not follow yeah. these this things as much as I do. So always a pleasure. Okay. Well, thank you, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay.